I had a, I guess, leadership uh, awakening moment uh, when I was uh, interning here. So I went to uh, college in, in, in Pennsylvania, uh, came back, did an internship here uh, at First Baptist Church. For those of you that, that don't know, this is uh, my home church, and so it was exciting to be able to come back to uh, my home church uh, during an internship and uh, to be able to serve. Uh, and so my, my wife and I uh, were, were helping out with middle school students at the time, uh, similar to uh, what uh, Zach is doing right now. And so we, we were uh, leading uh, kind of the, the middle school ministry, and I remember specifically we had a, a retreat during the course of the year. And, uh, and so me and my, my wife, we, and, and some of you may have heard this before, because this was uh, kind of one of these traumatic, like life-defining uh, type, of, t- type of instances. And so me and my wife, we, we have a, a, a van, a uh, church van full of middle schoolers. Um, and, and we get in, and we drive, we were going to... Lake Ann, so it's a further distance, with a van full of middle schoolers, and, and we're driving, and I just remember getting there, after the kids kind of got out, I turned to Ashley and I said, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this is really like, I, like, and then we both turned to each other, it's like, we're in charge right now. What are they thinking? <laughs> With that in mind, please sign up your middle school students for the retreat. Um, <laughs> but uh, but was one of these moments of like, oh, we're in leadership. Like, like this is a big deal. Like, we're responsible here. And, and perhaps, like, we see a title like this, uh, leadership. And you're, maybe you're thinking, like, yeah, that's for people who are, are in different positions and are over uh, different people. That, that, that's not for me. Well, I, I think if that's what's going through your mind, then hopefully this is this is especially important for you. Because the truth is, each and every one of us has influence. Each and every one of us impact others around us. And the danger, and we were just talking about this with the high school students the other day, the danger is not recognizing the amount of influence you have. Because when you don't recognize that your actions, your words, what you do impact others, then you're not going to be as careful to steward it well. You're not going to put in the time to understand, like, I need to be aware that what I do matters to those around me, and so I better be on guard. You see, leadership is abused, it's misused when it's not recognized. But when it is recognized, when it is acknowledged, then we're able to slow down to assess how are we doing? How are we using this? And so as we kind of begin this, uh, this year, 2023, as we begin this year, we're going to be thinking specifically like how can we each be more effective in our leadership? How can we each steward this responsibility well? And so this is what we're going to look at specifically. And we, we have so many ideas and culture today, even as we think about this topic of leadership, and maybe even right now you're saying, oh, if I'm, if I'm in a position of leadership, then I need, to, I need to be more equipped. I need to look. And, and there's so many books. There's so many different things uh, that, we could, that we could turn to. And there's a lot of wisdom in them. But we have inspired wisdom as well. Inspired wisdom from God that discusses leadership. And specifically, as we look at Psalm 101, we're looking at wisdom from King David to us today for how we can live 
wisely, how we can steward our, rela- our leadership well. And so if you are in Psalm 101, we'll start in verse 1 and read the in- entire psalm and then unpack it together. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set my eyes before anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. We see David begin by praising God. By praising God, I will sing of the steadfast lo- of your steadfast love and justice. To you, I'll make music. First and foremost, leading well begins with praise. Leading well begins with praise. The first and last verses serve to bookend the psalm, because it's not only uh, because it's in these verses that we have the divine name of God, Yahweh. In verse 1, the name Lord is used by David saying, it's him he will praise. And he lists specific praiseworthy attributes of this God. The psalm can be seen as a kind of vow that David makes to live and act in a certain way. But to live in this way, he begins with God. He begins with these attributes of God and and who God is. So first, leading well begins with praise. The attributes that David chooses to highlight, first he says, the steadfast love. He praises God for his love. Now this word steadfast love, the Hebrew word chesed, right, uh, occurs throughout the Psalms and throughout the Old Testament talking about the love and the loyal love of God, the steadfast love of God, the faithful love of God. It relates to the covenant that God had made with his people. It's steady, it's sure, it's enduring. It's faithful. And the way that David invokes it is because this is, this is the love that, that is on David as king. The covenant that God has with him. But even more than that, as David is describing this love, it's also the way that he describes it is the source for his leadership. It's the spring, it's the well which he draws from in order to continue as he continues this psalm. So the psalmist is grounded in this love and that's where their praise begins. This is important to consider as we seek to lead in godly and helpful ways. If we're not careful, our influence on others can be seen as a way to find purpose and to justify the existence of our own lives. We're seeking love. We're seeking validation. 
whatever we're doing, however we're influencing, no matter how good the cause might be, it can become an idol, and we can use it to justify our own selfishness and our own sinfulness. But when we're grounded in God's unwavering, covenant, faithful love for us, that changes things. We're now leading, we're now influencing from a place of security, not in hopes to gain something. And this is where David begins. What about you? Are you grounded in God's faithful love for you? This undercuts, when we do this, this undercuts abusive leadership. A, a leadership that's out for us. Instead, it's, it's flowing out of people who've been loved by God. Love is the cause for our action. We might be reminded of 1 John 4.19. It says, we love because he first loved us. As Christians today, we're loved with the deep covenant love of God. This love should spill over to those around us as we seek to lead well. The next thing we see is we see David uh, praising God for his justice. Praising God for his justice. Your, your steadfast love and your justice. Not only should we be grounded in God's love for us, but we should be aware of his rule over us. Our God is righteous and he's good and he rules in justice. This is a mark of what the king's supposed to do and how their kingdom is supposed to be reflected. And he continues not only in saying that, but he also says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. So praise God uh, for the blameless way. Blameless way could also be translated the perfect way. It's getting at, at the idea that the king is wholly committed in his actions to a standard above himself and keeping himself pure and in being faithful to his calling. But simply, it's leading with integrity. It's easy to, to kind of create our own path, to kind of create our own standard of excellence, one that we can measure up to. But David's, his, 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 his the blameless is something outside of himself, something bigger than himself. Is the kings, in the Old Testament, we're, we're told this in Deuteronomy, they were to jot down the entire copy of the, the, the law, to keep as a personal copy for themselves, their own personal standard of, of what is blameless, what is perfect, what is right. Not something that they could simply invent on their own, but something that was bigger than themselves. As we're seeking to influence others, as we're seeking to to have impact for, for God in, in our leadership, in, in whatever callings and in influences that he has for you. Be careful of setting your own standard. Uh, instead, understand that there's something outside of you, something that is perfect, that is blameless. Uh, perhaps a good practice for us today would be to, to write down the law of God. Perhaps with with a, a, a pen and paper. But certainly, as Scripture tells us, we should hide it in our hearts. Perhaps a, a, a good spiritual discipline for us this year is, is to, to memorize the commandments of the Lord. 
to hide them in our heart, to seek to understand his standard of what it means to be blameless. Well, leading well begins with praise, praising God for his love, praising God for his justice, and praising God for the blameless way. It doesn't stop there. Uh, he continues. Uh, leading well means being a person of integrity. Listen to what he says. I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set my eyes <clears throat> before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Uh, leading well means being a person of integrity. As we look at the psalm, we first focus on the person as an individual, not their public leadership. In other words, if we want to lead others well, we first need to lead ourselves. If we want to influence others in a particular direction, we must walk in that direction ourselves. Think about this in another area of life. Imagine if you were going to buy a new truck and you went to a Chevy dealer. And they're telling you all the virtues and how good Chevy trucks are. They're listing how much better they are than than Ford's. And point after point, they're being made and you're saying, okay, I I understand, I I see all this. And whether you buy the truck or not, if you encounter that salesman later on driving driving a brand new Ford, you'd be confused. What in the you were just telling me how much better this is, and, and you're driving the rival company, the one that you were just slamming? That doesn't make any sense. And yet, how many of us can do that exact same thing in our Christian lives? Tell of the virtues of one way of life, of following after King Jesus. When our lives model and reflect that we are, that we have another king, another Lord. They show the virtues, they show the values of another kingdom. They can undermine our leadership. They can betray and and speak against what we're trying to communicate. But when they're matched, when we are who we say we are, when it's an overflow of who we genuinely are, that changes things. Uh, C.S. Lewis is the author of, of many books, including Chronicle of Narnia, Chronicles of Narnia series. Uh, he was once called by his personal secretary, right? His personal secretary called him this. He's the most converted man I ever met. Walter Hooper explained what he meant by saying there's not an area of Lewis's life that was left untouched by his conversion to Christianity. There's a recent discussion about Lewis's life which highlighted that he not only taught the truths about Christianity, but he was authentically impacted and changed by Christ. It was evident to all who came around him. How powerful is it? We're not only saying biblical truth. we, We need to say that. But when it's an overflow of who we are, when we're leading out of who we are, 
Well, how can that be done? How can we avoid falling into the traps of of being a hypocrite? What are some ways that we can self-diagnose and and confess to the Lord where needed? Uh, First, don't prioritize productivity over prayer. Don't prioritize productivity over prayer. So we don't notice that the flow of the psalm here, David is explaining the importance of, of personal holiness, uh, and he begins like many royal psalms with singing, and, but he doesn't end there. Uh, in v- verse 2, <clears throat> he says this, Oh, when will you come to me? Oh, when will you come to me? He longs for God to answer him. If we're not careful today, we can prioritize public productivity over private prayer. All these things don't need to be pitted against each other. In fact, it can be dangerous to do so. One can overshadow the other. Typically, we can give more credibility to productivity since it's something that can be measured and the value is evident. But prayer is different. Prayer is secret. Prayer doesn't necessarily bring us the things that we're praying for. But prayer does bring us into the presence of God. Prayer is understanding that productivity is not sufficient, that we need more. It acknowledges that God's ways are higher than our our ways, that we are dependent and that we're needy. In a world that craves strong leaders, prayer says, I am not enough. It's a banner that is raised above your head that says, she doesn't have it all figured out. He needs something else. And here we see King David saying, Oh, when will you come to me? I need you. I need something outside of myself. I'm not enough. It it reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Like, Like, when I'm weak, when I understand my weakness, then I'm strong. Thank you, God, for teaching me my weakness because now I know what strength is. I encountered trial and tribulation after tribulation and what did those things do? They drove me to you. You're my strength. You're enough. How countercultural is that? In a culture that, show, show me your resume, show me everything that you've accomplished. See, the value of being on your knees. Reminds me of the words of, of John Owen. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees before, in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. Again, we can take this as an excuse to not do anything. But typically, those crying out for help and direction are often eager to do much for God and his kingdom. They also tend to understand the spiritual needs of those around them. They're not using productivity to promote themselves or overcome weaknesses, but to glorify God. This creates kind of a a holy patience. Not trampling over others to get to a to an end goal, but seeking to do things well for God's glory.
So first, danger can be productivity over prayer. Second danger can be platform over sanctification. Platform over sanctification. What do we see with David? First, he's, he's looking at himself. He's looking at his own life. He's evaluating how he's, how he's doing. In a world that's obsessed with leveraging platform and, and building an audience, we should be careful not to let our platform outgrow our sanctification. Successful leadership is not found in the quantity of followers, but in the quality of the leader. My wife started the year as a second grade substitute at a local school district. And, and they had Star of the Week. Some of you might know what Star of the Week is. There's a, a kid who's highlighted for that week, and they tell several things that they, that, about themselves. Sometimes they have a big poster, and they're kind of writing, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, uh, what are your favorite things to do? Things like that. Uh, well, the first two had the exact same answer uh, for what they wanted to be when they grow up. Uh, in second grade, they both wanted to be, and they aspired to be, YouTube influencers. Uh, and this isn't uh, just them. In fact, uh, there was a recent study uh, that came out from polling uh, students, ages, uh, children ages 8 to 12, and the number one thing that they desired to be was uh, YouTube influencer. Uh, you used to be a teacher, professional athlete, astronaut, things like this. Uh, YouTube influencer. It perhaps speaks to uh, our culture. We live in a culture that desires influence and following. One that prioritizes platform and views. Does it mean that Christians can't get, it, get on YouTube? Certainly not. But it does mean that we have to be careful in this kind of culture to let or emphasize platform above sanctification. Whether online or in our personal leadership, it is easy to craft an online persona and to be personally failing in many other areas. And this is not a true mark of a leader, regardless of how many views you might get. I like what Richard Phillips says. He says this, the most desirable qualities in a leader are not qualifications, charisma, or connections, but personal godliness coupled with demonstrated faithfulness in one's calling. How can you trust someone to be faithful in their vocational commitments if they're lackluster in their private commitments? Separating the two might seem helpful. Don't evaluate their personal morality, only their public policy. But this psalm and the biblical testimony shouts that one necessarily influences the other. This can be fleshed out in several ways, and, and David gives us examples of this. Uh, first, be marked by holiness at home. So he says, I will walk with integrity within my house. Are you the same person at home as you are in public? Or is your public persona beautifully crafted like a filtered Instagram account? The psalmist shows that being a person of integrity at home is vital. The word home could refer to more than just within a house. This is the king after all. 
So it could refer to those closest to him or the kingdom at large. But since this is between like his, his own heart and his own eyes in, in how he, the psalm is, is flowing, it seems likely that this refers to those closest to him before he's talking about these broader implications in the following verses. It would also co- coincide with spiritual leaderships and the qualities of them that we see in the New Testament to have households in order before being called into ministry leadership. Too often we neglect these qualities in leaders and too often we ignore them in our own lives. It's easier to fake godly leadership to the outside world to flip on the on switch. But it's hard to do that day in and day out with those around us. How are you leading at home? What did your family say about your leadership? About your pursuit of the Lord? Are you one way when you walk through the doors here and another way when you get in the car? Well, we're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about arrival. But we are talking about consistent pursuit of the Lord, a desire to live a godly life acknowledging sin and confessing it before the Lord. I was reading a commentary from uh, the 1800s, and they're, they're emphasizing this as well. He said, it's, it's a lot of times it's easy to be powerful in the pulpit, but a tyrant at home. But you failed when you've done that. How are we leading? Not only are we marked by holiness at home, we should be marked by hatred of sin. You see that over and over again with the, the psalm, psalm uh, verse 3, I will not set my, before my eyes anything that is worthless. I will hate those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Right. So the second way that sanctification is worked out is by not tolerating sin. Cuddling up with sin is about as smart as cuddling up with a porcupine. Not only will it end badly, but you have marks to prove it. And yet, how often is it that we cuddle up with sin? If we are to live well, we are to live what we teach. As you teach others to avoid sin, avoid it yourself. Don't give in to worthless things. The word worthless is associated with the person, implying that falling into sin renders someone unfit for service unfit to serve on a king's court and to have that kind of influence. While no one is perfect, we are called to pursue godliness. Your influence can be greatly diminished because of that gotcha political meme you posted. More out of wrath than out of love and justice. Losing your temper with your co-worker can render your words worthless to them the next time you you speak the truth into their life. It's not about faking it. It's not about arriving it. But it is about grace-fueled effort to pursue holiness. It's about confessing sin in your life and turning from it. Do you hate sin or do you coddle it? Do you seek to kill it or do you feed it? Regardless of the words you say to influence those around you, these actions of giving sin an ear can overshadow them. When your sin shouts, 
Your words are turned to whispers. Your words are turned to whispers whenever your sin is shouting. It overshadows what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish. You can say whatever you want to say, but I, I see the way you're living. Dad, you tell me to avoid that, but I see how you live. Again, this is not saying, hey, I, I see you struggling against sin. I see you falling, but you're confessing and you're, you're striving. Right? That's good. That's, that's godly. But how many times is, hey, I'm, I'm having this standard, I'm, I'm calling you to do this, and I'm not even pursuing that at all myself. That's dangerous. We're undermining our leadership. Well, leading well has a lot to do with being a person of integrity and leading out of who you are. But there are often challenges. Among the challenges is the need to keep holiness close and sin far away. Leading well means keeping holiness close and sin far away. Verse 5, Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart I will not endure. I will look with favor on the one in the land. They will dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Do you tolerate sin when it's convenient? Does whoever slanders his neighbor secretly I will destroy? It's easy in our social media obsessed age to adopt patterns that pay us well. Today we're rewarded by piling on when someone is attacked, especially if they're not in our tribe. Okay. Uh, the person of integrity does not want to evaluate, elevate themselves by siding with the slanderer. It's easy to do. You hear someone cutting someone else down, down especially if they're belittling the other person. You don't want to defend the weak and, and look like you're siding with the weak, that you're weak yourself. You want to show that you're strong. But it's in this very moment that your weakness is revealed. The courage of the godly leader is siding with what is right, even when it's hard or personally costly. Trying to gain favor by playing to whatever audience you're speaking to does not reveal integrity, but cowardice. So easy to do. So easy to care so much about truth when it's somebody from our team. But if it's somebody on the other team, I don't care. I'm not going to evaluate that. I'm just going to share it because it makes them look bad. I'm siding with a slanderer. It's easy to do. Do we give in to this? Do we give in to this when it's, when it's secret, when people are cutting someone else down behind closed doors? Are we, are we siding with them? Are we understanding the danger that that is? And the danger not only to us personally, not only to what they're doing, but also to those they might have impact on, who they might impact. Think about this. 
Who else is influencing those under your care and leadership? This is, David's looking at these, these people that are, that are close to him that are in kind of the king's court, and he's saying, I, these type of people, they can't be near me. Like, I can't give them credibility. I can't give them my voice. There's some he will not have present there because they will exercise their influence in arrogance and selfishness. David is concerned not only with his own conduct, with his own holiness, but also with the conduct of others that he's called to care for. David is vowing to commit to personal holiness, but also holiness among those he gives credibility to in terms of their position or influence within the kingdom. Specifically, he calls out those who practice deceit and utter lies. More generally, he looks to banish all evil. His good leadership can be undermined by those close to them who have influence. They can sow discord through their lies and their conduct. They can pull people in in various directions instead of loving them well. This goes back to that illustration, doesn't it? With what kids want to be when they grow up. I want to be a YouTube influencer. Well, one thing that that might imply is a lot of people are giving credibility and voice and authority to YouTube influencers within their sphere of authority in their house. If kids want to be an influencer, that may mean because they're being really influenced by a lot of voices themselves. Who are those voices? What are they speaking? Could that speak to the leadership of parents, leadership of those in the house, saying, hey, I'm giving approval to that, I'm giving credibility, and, and King David's saying, hey, who are these people that I'm giving my voice to? Who am I uh, letting those come into this sphere of influence? I, I want to make sure that this is good. If not, get out of here. How easy it can be in parenting to say, kid, get out of here. Just go, talk, just go watch the YouTube video and leave me alone. and giving voice and credibility to others that may not deserve or should have that kind of voice in their life. Are we being diligent in these areas? It could be easy. I'm not saying I'm perfect in this either. This is is a struggle in this, this modern world. But are we being diligent? Are we paying attention to those who are influencing those under our care and leadership. Also, how is the company you keep affecting you in your care for others? Notice that not only does David want to walk in a way that's blameless, he also wants to keep close to him those who walk in the way that's blameless. Verse 6. He's looking with favor on those who are faithful. It's not just that... uh, those we give voice to will impact others. They also shape our character. Uh, if a leader first is to have integrity and character themselves, then any impact on them will have a ripple effect. 
Anything you let in will not just stay with you, it'll affect others around you. Our culture loves to tell this lie that you can make your own choices, it only affects you. Well, it doesn't. If our leadership begins with the heart and character of the leader, then anything that affects or leads your heart will impact those around you. An ongoing temptation that we can have is that we can seek the company of those who will make us look good instead of those who will cause us to be good. We can crave celebrity over godliness. We can tickle rather than tackle our pride when it comes to associations. Is this you? What does your company, the company you keep say about your character? Is your leadership jeopardized? Is your holiness hindered? It's interesting how often we hear about someone who's made a major impact on someone. And over and over again, you, you hear similar things like, they gave me time when I didn't, they really shouldn't have. I didn't, I didn't think they would. It's a recent uh, college football coach that passed away, and, and story after story came, and, and one was from a, a student reporter saying, I reached out to a lot of coaches, nobody, nobody cared, nobody, nobody even gave me the time of day, but uh, not only did this coach respond, but he was, he was there, and he was caring, and he, he wanted to hear from me. He, he, he shouldn't have, like, I, I, it's okay if he, he would have, but like, he actually cared. I, I wasn't seen as beneath him. the danger of having relationships simply because they'll benefit us instead of caring for others around us. That doesn't mean that we have time for everyone all the time. But there is a certain distinct perception that we can give off of I don't have time because it's you. Or how dare you think you have time with me. We can easily have that kind of perception. But that's not the perception we have of our Savior, do we? Jesus, who said, let the little ones come to me. <laughs> Jesus, who had time for the outcasts of society. That's our Savior. He welcomed the outcast. He welcomed the rejected. He was there. Who do you surround yourself with? What voices are affecting your influence on others? Sometimes it's not even necessarily even the people in our lives, but the voices in our homes. Sometimes what we watch on TV, from our favorite shows to our favorite talking heads, they can shape our loves and misdirect our aims. Our hearts can be captured by fear and hatred instead of love and justice. Is this you? Have you fallen into this trap? Have the voices around you caused you to be less faithful in your pursuit of Christ and your care for those around you? Have you become selfish, envious, instead of pursuing godliness? Be careful of who you're letting into that cord of influence over you. Well, Psalm 101 is about a king, but it wasn't truly fulfilled in the life of David or others. While these may have been the desires of King David, he failed miserably. Not only did he tolerate people around him who sought to use their cunning to usurp his rule and undermine his leadership, He was also personally compromised. He failed at home. He failed in personal holiness. And this is often the picture that we have today. Not only are we disgusted with our own leadership and and our own failings, we're often disappointed and disgusted with many leaders today. 
But this psalm doesn't stop with the reign of David. It points forward to the better David. There is one who led with perfect integrity. This king rules in perfect justice and peace. The gates of his kingdom, it says, they, they don't accept, they don't tolerate sin. Like he banished it. Like this is our king who came to lo- live perfectly in this life, set up his kingdom, and now he doesn't tolerate sin. We're thinking to ourselves, like, that's bad news. Because I'm a sinner. Like, what is this, a kingdom for one? Is this, is this just him? No, the way that this king banished sin was by coming as our substitute. He took on our sin in our place so that we might be called blameless. And all who are clothed with his righteousness. You see, if we're arrogant, if we're prideful, (laughs) we're not going to want to respond to this king. Because this king says, hey, come to my kingdom. Enjoy this rule. That means acknowledging you're a sinner and you don't deserve to be in my court. And to those who are filled with pride, they say, no, that's not me. I deserve to be there. But if you're here this morning, there's a gift that's being offered to you. And it's the gift of Jesus Christ and what he came to accomplish. Say, I know I'm not good enough. I'm reading this stuff about blameless and like, like pursuing this. And I, I understand in my own heart, I can't do that. I need something else. I need something outside of myself. Well, Jesus is offered. Jesus is offered to you and all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross will be saved. You will live with this king forever. What David failed to do, what you failed to do, what your favorite leader fails to do, Jesus accomplished. And he reigns in victory right now for you. If you will turn for your sins and trust in him. Do you need to do that this morning? It stands available to you this morning to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. If you've done that, if you are a Christian here this morning, don't lose the wonder of that. Let's not go this week and say, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Now, now I need to get on to the good stuff. No, rest in that. Like, that's the power. Remember how we started? David's saying, I'm, I'm leading out of this because I've been loved with a covenant love. How much better is that than the new covenant of Jesus' blood for us? Like, we can seek to lead well. We can seek to try to faithfully live out these principles already having victory in Jesus. We don't need to do it so selfishly. We don't need to do so to try to earn the favor of our Savior. (laughs) He's already done it all. We simply need to trust in him and seek to live faithfully. Let's do that this week. Let's pray together. Dear Father, Thank you for the wonderful hope that we have in Jesus. If there's any here this morning that have never trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that you work in their heart 
Father, that you draw them to yourself, that you help them find forgiveness and hope and beauty in Jesus. For those that have trusted in Christ, Father, help us to live faithfully. When we fail, help us to continue to turn to the blood of Christ, to trusting in him and what he has done, and simply walk in obedience day by day. We thank you and praise you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this last.